Today's podcast is brought to you by the new HBO series, Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons. The new show will feature intimate conversations with compelling guests from the worlds of pop culture, sports, entertainment, the arts, and technology. Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons will also feature field segments with Simmons' signature commentary on current events. Make sure to watch Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons premiering Wednesday, June 22nd at 10 p.m. on HBO. We're also brought to you by our new website, TheRinger.com, presented by Miller Lite. Go now and check out the latest in pop culture, sports, and tech at TheRinger.com. Hello and welcome to another draft edition of the Ringer NBA show. My name is Danny Chow and joining me as always is Ringer NBA writer Jonathan Charks. Charks, how's it going? Good, man. How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, I have a question for you. All right. So if you were to take 100 uh, three-pointers in front of draft evaluators, how many do you think you'd make? I don't shoot threes. I'm like Ben Simmons. I took out of my game a few years ago. But I'll tell you who would make a lot of three-pointers in, in a room. Randy Foy. He'd probably make like 75 at least. <laughs> so so you're saying he would be worse than Jamal Murray, who made 79. Oh, oh. Well, I guess so. I mean, for whatever that's worth, he's got him by four three-pointers. Yeah, just to uh, add some background, uh, there, there was a tweet that had surfaced from Jeff Goodman of ESPN saying that uh, I think last week Jamal Murray shot 79 out of 100 three-pointers in front of draft evaluators, and then a couple days later... Buddy Heald shot 85 out of 100. So that, that got Twitter in quite an uproar. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, if you cover an NBA team, they make a ton of threes. Like, these professional shooters, they can all make just, you know, 80, whatever, and 100. It's what, they, what else they can do that really counts. Right. And since we covered a lot of deeper cuts in the last podcast, we wanted to kind of circle back and spend more time with some of the remaining prospects in the top 10 and a couple prospects who might find themselves selected in the late lottery or mid-first round. I, I guess we should start with uh, Buddy Heald and Jamal Murray. I, I think we've, we've talked a lot about them in previous podcasts, but I, I think this is, this is a good way to kind of seal our final opinions on them. Uh, for me, just to be clear, I, I don't think Heald or Murray are bad players. It's just, it's really hard to project these guys as stars at the next level, given their limitations. And that's kind of why I wouldn't pick them in the top five. Like, I, I can see a team like New Orleans, um, who are, you know, desperate for a name brand recognition type of guy or an instant contributor off the bench to jump at Heald or Murray. But if you have the infrastructure to really work on a guy with potential, I think you, you definitely take a swing for the fences. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in general in the draft, going for name brand or instant value is going to lead you in the trouble a lot of the times. Danny, here's my question to you. Like, what, how would you compare these guys to Nick Stauskas, like in terms of their overall as prospects? The, the one thing about Nick Stauskas that interested me in the 2014 draft was that he showed the ability to really distribute the ball and, mm -hmm. and work as a second facilitator on a team. I don't necessarily see too much of that with either of Heald or Murray. I know this is something that can be developed over time, but as, as far as what they've shown in the last season, at, at least in, in that aspect, Nick Stauskas was more favorable or at least more versatile, in my opinion. I was surprised. Like You watch more like the high school stuff. 
But wasn't Murray supposed to be like a point guard, combo guard guy coming into school? I was thinking he'd be getting way more assists with you. It's like a two-point guard system, but it didn't turn out that way at all. Yeah, it really didn't. And, and that was something that surprised me, too. I, I'm trying to think of, of a guy who I would want these two to mold their games after. And the guy who comes to mind is J.J. Redick. You know, he's, he's not necessarily someone who you want creating off the dribble too much, but Redick is really, really good at making quick reads, whether to shoot or pass, the second he gets the ball. He's not really a traditional creator with the ball in his hands, but he, he's able to create, you know, opportunities by being active and by moving without the ball, forcing defenders to move away from the action. And I, I feel like if Heald or Murray embrace that kind of play, it, it would really take advantage of what they do well. I think the key with the Reddick comp, and like you look at Reddick's career, is he really turned himself into a good defensive player. Yeah. It took him like three or four years under SVG, where he didn't play at all, basically, in those first few years in Orlando. He remade his body, he remade his game, and he became a good defensive player. And for me, it's like, even the best shooters, if they don't play defense, there's only so much use they have, especially on the perimeter. Like, you got like Reddick, Clay Thompson, Wes Matthews, all these like pure shooting guys. They also guard pretty well. And that's my big question with both Murray and Heald is how much are these guys really going to guard? Like right. Mur- Mur- like Heald, I think, is a better athlete. He just didn't guard much because he played a lot with Isaiah Cousins. And Cousins kind of got the tougher defensive matchup on the Premier OU. Murray, man, I don't know that he's ever going to guard. I remember I broke down the film of him. He was playing Tim Quarterman at LSU. And Tim Quarterman, like, is he even a top 100 guy on Draft Express? He might be. I don't know. He's a fringe NBA guy, whatever. And he just went right around Murray. And I'm watching this tape like, this guy cannot stay in front of him whatsoever. It was, it was kind of shocking, honestly. The one, you know, thing that you have to look at Murray is he was just a freshman. So there is time for him to, you know, kind of learn the schemes and, and really follow a coach's, a coach's game plan. But... Yeah, from, from what I saw at Kentucky, he w- that definitely wasn't a big priority in his game. Yeah, I remember like watching, or that Duke, the first game of the year, Duke-Kentucky. I think that was the first game. And there was like, oh, you know, Murray and Briscoe. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to watch, you know, John Wall and Eric Bledsoe. And it was like, <laughs> well, maybe if Wall and Bledsoe had cement shoes when playing quicksand, that was what it kind of looked like. Right. Like those guys could barely get above the rim. They were like trying all kinds of crazy layups. Because they really couldn't play above the rim at all. It was just like, man, you're not, not even that big either. Like, Murray is, uh, let's see, what's his? He's like 6'5". Yes, I got him here at 6'4", 210, 6'6", wingspan on Draft Express. Yeah. And so, like, here's the way to look at it. Like, let's say I saw one of the mocks, they had Buddy Heald going to Denver. And actually, quite a few mocks have had Buddy Heald going to Denver. But I look at it like this. Like, is Buddy a better basketball player than Gary Harris? I'm not sure that he is. Gary Harris is a much better athlete and a much better defensive player. So, like, if I'm Mike Malone, am I benching a two-year veteran for a rookie who doesn't play defense? Probably not. And then it's like, if Buddy Heald is not a starting two-guard for Denver, he's a backup two-guard, but he can't play point. He's not very versatile. He's not big enough to be a three. And it's like, did I just draft a 10-minute-a-game backup two-guard with a seven pick in the draft? I can get that guy in the second round. Yeah. Which is, it's all about, like, finding roles for these guys. And that's what I worry about with Murray and Heald is there's only very few roles that can be really good players at. They're not very multidimensional. And speaking along the lines of perimeter players who, you know, will need to adjust to new roles at the new level, 
I'm wondering about Jalen Brown and his potential. Like, I personally love him. It's largely a physique thing for me. He's got, you know, a strong body. He has an excellent physique. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Not, not, he's not quite as strong as Stanley Johnson was last year, but he's absolutely the superior athlete. You know, 6'7 with a 7-foot wingspan. He's a guy who can be sculpted. You know, watching him on drives, I, I loved the way he was able to kind of navigate through the defense, um, using his hips to kind of direct himself, um, finding those slashing angles. I, I don't think he's the most dynamic player at this point as far as making plays for others, but, you know, it helps that he has that innate driving ability. And also just the, the idea of seeing the floor and, and facilitating is, is a skill that can be developed over time as, as the game starts to get you know, less frantic for, for these young guys. My question to you is on a scale of you know, Dwight Howard in 2004 trying to show teams that he could shoot a, a mid-range jumper to you know, Buddy Heald shooting 85% from three, how worried are you about his lack of range on his jumper? I'm pretty worried about it. I he, the only thing I would say because I'm looking at the numbers, he was 29% from the three-point line, and then maybe more worrisome, he's 65% from the free throw line. Yeah. For a perimeter player, that's not that's not great. Right. To be fair, he took a lot of awful shots, but so that that made his percentages go down, and Cal's offense was really it's hard to watch at times. So, like Cal, the thing here's up with Cal. Cal was starting Tyrone Wallace, 6'6", like an MCW non-shooting point guard. Jalen Brown, a 6'7", non-shooting three. Ivan Rabb, a non-shooting four. Cameron Rooks, a non-shooting five. So there's no space on the floor, and Brown's going one on three like a madman a lot of times. And like to me, I feel like with Brown, it's can he be in a more wide open system? He has to have shooters around him. If he's going to be the shooter, you're in trouble. Maybe if there's space in the floor for him to drive, he could show more than he should at Cal. So do you project him as a three or a four going forward? I kind of look at him a little bit like Harry Barnes. Like, I think he could be an I three, like, but as a small ball four, he's really big and fast. He's got long arms. He can switch screens. Like, to me, that's where he could be a really good player in the NBA as a small ball four. That's why I feel like he has the most range of any player in the lottery. Because he plays as a three in a conventional system. Like, let's say he was in Memphis. I think he'd be pretty bad player. No space. Right. But, like, let me see Jalen Brown in New Orleans playing as a four next to Anthony Davis. That could be something legit right there. I, I think what we're learning this season and what we're continuing to learn through the playoffs is, is how we're going to reckon with the idea of what a big man is. Um, like, w- what does it mean to be a five in the league anymore? Like, how do we project players like Jakob Pertl out of Utah? You know, he, he's a guy who maybe more so than Murray being considered a top three prospect. He's the one guy in this top 10 discussion where I'm just completely baffled by. For example, this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, when I'm eating at a restaurant, the worst thing I can nice. do is the worst thing I could possibly say is that it was fine. Like, I'd rather have a horrible meal and have a story to tell about it than leaving, you know, feeling nothing. And that's kind of how I feel about Jakob Pertl. Like, he's, he's fine. Hmm. Personally, I want to eat good food. I'm paying big money at a restaurant. I don't, I don't need a story. Like, <laughs> let me, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> What's to say? Oh, the food sucked. I was, I was pissed. Like, Not n- a very good story. I don't know. Some of my favorite childhood memories have been from eating at Hometown Buffet or Denny's, like, really late at night. 
I don't know. It, it's something about first off, the food at Denny's is amazing. So I don't know where you're going off this tangent. Let's leave that on the table. This right is now. this is not a sponsored uh, segment. No, that's guys. just real talk right there. <laughs> okay, so where are we? So I'm with Pirtle, right? Yeah, that's where I'm talking about right now. Okay, man. I don't want to be a hater, but yeah, you do. Let it out. Yeah, I do. After that, after that game against Sabonis in the tournament, I was like, man, this guy doesn't got too much. I mean, I've not seen a, a seven foot center get bullied like that in, a, in an NCAA tournament game in a long time. I mean, that was a TKO. Like, Pirtle was asking to leave the game because he was getting whipped so bad by Sabonis. Like, I couldn't believe it. I thought it'd be like, I was like, oh man, this could be the game of the tournament. Two, like, elite seven-footers going head-to-head, blah, blah, blah. And no, just a complete TKO. And my thing with Pirtle, I'll start with this. He was in the perfect system at Utah to do what he could do. Like, they played in great space. They had a great. They had point guards. They had shooting at a stretch four. They threw in the ball inside all the time. Like, he was in the perfect spot to put up big numbers. But if you look at his actual physical tools, they're really not exceptional. He's 7'1", 240, 7'2", wingspan. So he's like average size center, kind of average size arms. He's not super fast. He's not super strong. He does not. He doesn't shoot us out of ten feet. He's a good passer. He's a post scorer. But the thing about it is, if you're a post scorer, that's purely about physical ability, scoring in the post. That's about me being bigger, stronger, and faster than you. And if I'm not those things, I'm gonna push off my block. And that's what happened to Pearl and Sabonis. Right. Like you look at his schedule in the, in the uh, over the course of the season. Like, Pearl didn't play any good big men all year. He basically beat up a bunch of nobodies. And he played a one good player in the tournament, and he got killed. To me, he's like Tyler Zeller. That's, that's who he is to me. That's, that's a good comparison, actually. So, wait, you have Sabonis ranked higher than him, correct? Oh, easily. Yeah. Not even close. Now, but I'm like a Sabonis outlier. I think I'm like the biggest Sabonis fan out there. Right. So what exactly is it that that really gets Sabonis to that level for you? Because for, for me, I, I like him, but... You could say a lot of the same critiques that you had for Pirtle for Sabonis. Uh, he's, you know, not too tall for his position. He is, his length is actually below average for his position. Yeah. I worry about his wingspan when it comes to doing hook shots. One of the things I noticed with Sabonis at Gonzaga was that he loved to take that hook shot um, down the middle. And I, I wonder if he's going to be able to create the same kind of separation he was able to in college in the NBA. Yeah, I think the main thing with Sabonis, he's a much better athlete than Pirtle, and he's much stronger. So, like, he, I think he'll survive doing the thing. And even though he's not, like, and he's a more versatile player, he's a fantastic passer. And I think he's an underrated shooter. I think he can add it to his game. He didn't shoot much in college, but I think I have more faith in his jumper than Pirtle's jumper. And I, I got to see him actually at SMU live. And, man, he is, even though he's not, like, a Marcus Chris, like, jump out the gym athlete for the stuff he does. He's a fantastic athlete. He has a high basketball IQ and he's got an elite motor. Like to me, I think he can switch screens in the NBA. Yeah. I think he can crush rebounds. He can facilitate offense and he can get points. He can kind of sneak his way into points. The big thing for him is going to be that jumper. Cause you're right. He has T-Rex arms. Right. If he had like long arms, he'd be a top three pick to me, but with the T-Rex arms, he needs a 20 foot jumper open up the rest of his game. And I just feel like, a lot of it, too, is Sabonis. He's playing with Wilcher, playing with Karnowski. He's not getting the ball very much to Gonzaga until the very end of this last season. So he didn't get the chance to show his offensive game. And, like, to me, he's one of the safest picks in this draft. because he's, he's a really good athlete, really high motor, really high beat ball IQ. So, like, 
uh, I was I'm looking at the thing on Marcus Chris, and I'm watching this Gonzaga Washington game, and Sabonis just demolished him. Like that was his worst in Pearl. Like Chris fell down in 15 minutes because Sabonis just stuck his butt at him, put him under the basket, and scored him like four straight times. Yeah, he, like, he they had to pull they had to pull Chris from the game. Yeah, like he, get out of here, dude. He's not quite you know the basketball genius that his father was, but it's clear that Arvita Sabonis taught him well, and he it's clear that he knows how to play the game. He has a great touch. He, his spin moves are incredibly crisp. Um, I, I I love watching him play. It's just I I wonder how much of that is going to be able to translate. Pirtle and Sabonis kind of fill one uh, similar space in the modern big man spectrum, if you will. On the other end is Henry Ellison. Mm-hmm. Ellison is an interesting case. I, I think his offensive skill set is kind of undeniable. Like he he runs the floor pretty well for his size, despite looking like he has ankle weights on. You know, he yeah, like he doesn't move well, but he moves. It's weird how he moves. It's really bizarre. It's really weird. And he you know he's shown the potential to be a solid three point shooter, despite not having great percentages at Marquette. It's funny because he he moves well and he's shown the ability to kind of handle the ball uh, up the court. I don't know how much like that's gonna mean in the NBA, but he can do that, I guess. But again, like, who the hell is he going to defend at the next level? Yeah, that's probably the guy I am, like, most just kind of in the air about. I, I go back and forth with him all the time. You know his older brother is, like, an Olympic high jumper or something? Really? Yeah, like, while the guy he got into Marquette, Wally Ellenson, he's, huh. like, an NCAA champion of the high jump. Interesting. So maybe if Henry can, like, cut some more weight. And he's a little, like, he's kind of like that Midwestern, like, Kevin Love, you know, big bonedness. Right. Like, he probably drank a lot of chocolate milk as a kid or something like that. So, if he could just, like, sculpt his body, maybe cut, like, 10 pounds. Because he's freaking huge. Like, he's seven foot two forty. He's as big as Pirtle. And he has a perimeter game. It's pretty, like, I don't know. I mean, at the worst, he's probably a, a stretch five, right? Off the bench, maybe? I, I don't know. It, it's, it's like Ellenson would have been a unicorn prospect if he came into the draft, like, maybe four years ago. But I, I'm not really sure what his ideal fit is with the NBA because you, you want a guy who's going to be able to defend, and I, I don't know where he fits in on that on that end of the ball. I mean, I think he has to be, like, on the pick and roll of playback center. Yes, because he blocked a, a little bit of shots last year. Not a great ton, but more than, like, a shooting specialist would block because he's got, you know, 7-2 wingspan. Let's see. He blocked 1.5 a game. That's not, not awful. I think he'd have to be, like... A, Whatever, it's not not traveling the pick and roll, but playing back at 10 feet and putting his hands straight in the air kind of guy. Right. Maybe he could, like, survive at that. I mean, I think you want to put him a lot of athletes around him for sure. Like, maybe, like, let's, like, the Bucks, Put him in the Greg Monroe role with, like, MCW and Middleton. And, I don't know, have speed, in, have speed in front of him and let him kind of, like, hang back and guard the post. Yeah, it'll be all about fit for him, I'd imagine. I wonder if there's going to be any kind of ripple effect with how the perception of love has kind of changed and if, if that you know affects him at all. I, I don't really think it should, but you never know how these things go as far as talent Ooh, evaluation. I got the fit for maybe 12 to Utah play with, you know. Oh, okay. I guess starting have Trey Lyles, though he had, they, they do kind of the same thing. Right. But like, I would think like next to a Gobert type, something like that. I guess shooting with this Rudy Gobert, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Plus, or next to Anthony Davis. Give him, because like Davis got that unicorn game where you can, 
Guard, scarred fours and block shots, like the actual unicorn game. Yeah, that, that's that's thing about like Anthony Davis, though, right? Like everybody's good as Anthony Davis. The the Pelicans don't want to mess this draft up, man. They need to do a good job drafting this year. They've messed it up a lot. Like, don't draft one of these two guards. Draft a big man, Anthony Davis, and get something going. Come on. <laughs> so another highly regarded freshman uh, heading into the NCAA season was Scal Labissier, one of your favorites, man. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't like Scal? I mean, those <laughs> rebounding numbers speak for themselves. I have <laughs> I have a prediction. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to go uh, to the Toronto Raptors at number nine. Interesting. Uh, you like, know, they're going to just gamble? Yeah, like, you know, Biombo's probably gone. They're going to need someone to fill that void. Um, you know, I, I think if Kentucky fans thought they were getting, you know, a second coming of Willie Cauley-Stein or Carl Anthony Towns realized pretty quickly that he wasn't going to be that guy. Um, but I can totally understand teams talking themselves into him. You know, he is the, the rough outline of a productive player. <laughs> and That's probably a good way to say it, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, he... He basically started playing actual organized basketball the year before Biombo was drafted. So, you know, there, there's a lot of room for, room for him so to grow. Year, so, like, five years ago? Yeah. He, he started playing basketball, like, for real in 2010, and Biombo was drafted 2011. There, there's plenty of things he can improve on. The one thing about Scal I was kind of surprised by, like, he's not a bad athlete, but I was kind of expecting a better athlete than what I saw at Kentucky. Like, he's not, I'm not going to say he's not slow, but I wouldn't say he's, like, super fast either. Or, like, like I was expecting, like, a Marcus Chris-level athlete. And people were, like, hyping up Scout for the year started. And obviously he's not that. Yeah, I feel like his recruiting rank definitely upped his uh, athletic perception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How about, like, um, how about Bebe Noguera? I don't know. I think Bebe is actually a pretty good rebounder. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about drafting Scout. Is he better than Bebe? I don't know that he is. <laughs> I, I think I think Scal definitely projects to be a better shooter. He's got he's got the jumper. And he def- yeah. yeah, he That's definitely has a better touch around around the basket. I think Bebe is pretty much limited to um, offensive rebounds, putbacks, and stuff like that. I mean, he's very good at it, but yeah, I guess Scal's like pick and pop five block shots. Like he's not I, he's an NBA player for sure. I'm trying to find a comp for him. I don't know. He's so skinny. Like, is he going to get any weight? I don't know if his frame going to support too much more weight. That's what I worry about it with him. With Porzingis showing that, you know, it's not, it's never too late for any of these guys to put on weight. I, I, yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, if you have an underdeveloped frame, you probably should have an underdeveloped frame because you're a pretty young human being. So. Well, but KP's really tough. Like, he's a tough guy from Lat- the streets of Latvia, you know, <laughs> Eastern Europe. I mean. Scal got pushed around a lot last year uh, the dude's from haiti he's he's seen quite quite a bit of stuff that's true so. i shouldn't have brought out the eastern europe stuff but just on the court he got pushed around a lot yeah kp don't get pushed around he'll fight back so yeah i mean that that pretty much wraps up the guys that we were thinking of in the in the lottery discussion but there are two guys kind of on the outside are looking in that we're pretty high on uh i i would say one being wade baldwin your boy Ooh, that's my boy no doubt What's your scouting report on him? I love Wade Baldwin, man. I feel like what I like about him is his... Ver- I, I'm all about versatility with these guys. I look at Wade Baldwin. He can do a lot of things on the court. So if you draft him, you can move him different roles on your team. He can still help your team. It's like the opposite of Heald and Murray. Like Baldwin, first off, he's got a 6'11 wingspan, which is just like unreal for a point guard. And like yeah, he, to keep in mind, he's 6'3". 
Yeah, it's freakish. I got to see him live uh, against Baylor. And he, that fool's got an NBA body. Like you were saying, oh, these guys are really young. They shouldn't have like great physiques. Wade Baldwin is like, it's like Jalen Brown almost. That dude is built like a freaking tank. Yeah. And he's 6'4", 6'11", wingspan. And he plays defense too. Like a lot of these guys, you say, man, if they like work at defense, they get in better shape. They remove their games around and you make all excuses. Like Wade Baldwin plays defense right now. He gets steals. He gets in your face. And I just feel like he was put in a bad spot because Vanderbilt, he was the guy on offense. And when he gets to the NBA, he can be like one of the guys. Right. He's not going to be asked to like take 20 shots a game, hold the ball the entire game. He's a 41% three-point shooter, five assists a game. So he can be a secondary playmaker, a good three-point shooter. Like, so he gives you like, like let's say how many threes do you think he can make an empty gym, Wade Baldwin? 70? So, yeah, let's say he gives you, like, 80% of Murray and Heald shooting, but he gives you, like, two times their defense, two times their playmaking, and the versatility. He could play guard three spots in the NBA with that wingspan. Oh, yeah, One, absolutely. two, three. Maybe even fours. And sw- he, could play- he could switch screens. You ain't going to post this guy up like it's nothing. He can switch screens. Like, Baldwin's a guy who could play for the Warriors right now. To me, I-, I would probably take him, of all the perimeter players in this draft, I mean, honestly... No, Chris Dunn's really good. Behind Chris Dunn, I might, I might take Baldwin after Chris Dunn. It, one of the perimeter players, it's kind the of, guards at least. It's kind of an interesting point that you bring up that he, he's kind of what a modern point guard can look like. You know, he he's not a guy that necessarily needs to pound the ball to be effective. As you were saying, you know, you need your point guards to be able to be as versatile as your big men. And he's a mm-hmm. guy who could shoot threes. He's a guy who could defend multiple positions. He has the length and the hand size of a center. So that, that's really easy to do. I, the thing I wonder about him is he's going to have the ability at the next level to kind of break a defense down off the dribble. Um, he seemed kind of most comfortable with straight line drives. Honestly, he seems like a pretty safe pick. Um, I think you, you brought up a certain template of a guy. He can be like a George Hill type player. Yeah, I think that's about right. Because like, I remember I was talking to someone about Ulyss and they're like, man, he's a great point guard. He sets everybody up. And that's great. Like, in the NBA, my wings do that. My wings run point. My wings set everybody up. Like, I need my point guards to help my wings as much as anything on defense. Like, I, like, like let's say the pay. Let's see, where's he going right now? They got him going to the Jazz. Like, right now, they got him going 12 to the Jazz. He'd be perfect there. That off would, Hayward yeah. and all those guys, backing up Exum. Like, Baldwin, you can pretty much... That's the thing about Baldwin is almost any team in the, like, top 15, he's going to help them. He's a 3 and D guy who plays defense, shoots, and passes the ball. So, like, I'll just slot him into roles really easily at different spots. Whereas some of these other guys we talked about, it's like you've got to per- find the perfect spot for him to succeed. And I'm just not even sure they're worth moving your team around to do that. Yeah, and, and so there's, there's this other guy who is outside the lotto consensus right now. He's, he's looking in. He's also a guy who, you know, projects to be a guy who can be kind of versatile on – at multiple positions. It's Torian Green from Baylor. Um, Torian Prince. Tor- Torian sorry, Green. Torian. Oh, my God. Was that the old Florida point yeah, guard? Yeah, he Torian was the Green? old Florida yeah. point guard. So, the fifth wheel. Yeah, th- so the guy who projects to be, you know, a guy who can play the three or four, Torian Prince from Baylor. Uh, he's, he's a guy with, you know, pr- prototypical size for the three position. I think he has, uh, like, a 6'11 wingspan at 6'8". He's strong. You know, he, he's able to comfortably shoot from three on the catch and shoot. 
and that's pretty important for a guy who projects to be a tweener. He, I, I think he's stronger than he is fast or explosive. So I, I wonder if his role is going to skew more towards being a four in the future. I, I don't know. You, yeah. you live in Big 12 countries, so you caught a lot more of Prince than I did. What, what stands out to you for Prince? Yeah, I mean, uh, the big thing, of course, like, if you haven't watched Baylor, they play this really goofy zone most of the time. So you don't really get to see Torian Prince, like, guard one-on-one very often. So it's kind of an unknown. Like, I was so bummed. I went to the Baylor OU game. And, like, heels walking three, just shooting 30-footers. It's like, let Prince guard this guy, and let's, let's play basketball. Right. But Scott has got him playing this weird hybrid zone, trapping guys, and it's whatever. So that's—it's like drafting Syracuse guys. You're never 100% sure they can play defense. You're kind of, like, hoping they play defense by their physical tools. And, like, he had a good year this year. He was forced to kind of be more of a main creator. He wasn't great at it, but I think it'll do good for the growth of his game that he had to be the man for a year. He had, to, he had to, like, create shots for their guys sometimes. Baylor kind of fell apart at the end of the season. I will say I've heard some whispers about kind of just Prince. He was he got in that fight with Rico Gallers, the tournament, custom out, national TV. I don't think it's a big deal, but that is out there. So that might, that might be why he's not seen as a top 15 type player. But I think he's also like Baldwin. It's like he's 6'8", multiple positions, three-point shooter, it's just easy to slot them in the roles. Right. And that's the thing with all these guys. It isn't so much like how good were you in college. It's how many roles can you play in the NBA and how fast can you play them. Because there isn't much patience anymore for these guys. You've got two, three years tops that is on to the next one. And I think Prince is a pretty safe pick no matter where he goes. Like would I say he's a good college player is Buddy Heald? No. Buddy Heald was a better college player. But that don't mean really anything in the NBA level necessarily. Do you have a comp for for Prince? Because I, I think the hair makes it kind of convenient to say Damari Carroll, but I, I kind of see some Marvin Williams in his game. Yeah, I don't know if he has Damari's ball skills. or I mean, I guess that's unfair. Damari's not a great handler. Um, yeah, like, he's just a really... He's like the most exactly you think. When you think a 3-4 combo forward who shoots threes and defends. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's, I think he's a safe pick, that's for sure. Look, if he gives halftime interviews like the one he did after the game in oh, Yale... Oh, that was great. That was great. Look, oh I, I hope he becomes a superstar so we get to hear him every single game. Like, he has incredible sarcasm. Yeah, that, that rebound thing was really funny. <laughs> Forgot about that. I think that's all we have for, for now. Uh, check back next week where we'll break down some international prospects you'll need to know in the upcoming draft, which is, oh my God, it's, it's about a week away. Yeah, it's come life can let you fast, man. Yeah. Alright. Thanks so much, Sharks. Thanks, Danny. See you guys next week for more draft talk. Anything.